Well, hey, everybody, welcome to Blackhawk Church. Um, uh, all sites, all venues, good to have a chance to be able to, to be together for just a minute. I wanted to get a chance just to kind of have a little bit of a family meeting. And so if you are new here for the first time, uh, my name is Matt Metzger. I'm the senior pastor here. I am just going to invite you to kick back and relax right now. If you are new, you can surf on your phone, but in all honesty, I'm actually really glad that you're here, but I don't want you to feel any pressure with any of the stuff that I'm about to talk about. This is a chance for us as a Blackhawk family to be able to talk. So if you consider Blackhawk Church, regardless of what site or venue, if you're watching online, if you're here in the room, if you consider Blackhawk Church your home, this is for you. Or if you're a person who you take in our messages on a regular basis, I wanna talk to you as well and get a chance to share a little bit of, a sort, I don't know, sort of like a house project that we're about to jump into and really an initiative or a campaign that we are starting as a church for the next year and a half, and I want to invite you to be a part of that. So um, we have been in this building that I'm standing in right now. If you don't know, this is our Braderway location. This is the east side venue where uh, everything kind of goes out from this place. And we moved into this building back in 2007. That was 17 years ago. Isn't that crazy? How many of you show all sites, all venues, how, show of hands, how many of you were around in 2007? You're a part of that. Yeah. Yeah. Decent amount of people. And uh, I see those hands at all the sites and venues. So, uh, so we had the chance to move in back at that time. And uh, back at that time, one of our ministries that was thriving, we had a big CD ministry. So some of you remember what these are. These are called compact discs, CDs. I still have one of these in my car that I can use on a regular basis, but uh, CD ministry, because this was the way, if you missed a sermon, if you missed a Sunday, this is how you got caught up. You came, you got one of these CDs, you were able to pop it in your car or in your disc man as you went for a run. And, uh, and that was the way you got to take things in. If there was a message that you really liked, you wanted to give it to friends, you would come and get, I don't know, a handful of CDs and hand them out to people. And uh, let's just say that since 2007, things have changed in a little bit. It was right around that time that we were moving into this building that these were released. I mean, can anybody, like, my guess is just about everybody here has one of these. This has been a game changer in the way that we do life, in the way that our culture exists, and really in the way that we do church. And so everything that we looked at with this building in 2007, every year we have a certain amount in our budget to be able to continue to upgrade to the changes that happen in technology. But there comes a certain point where the upgrades that you're doing, they can start to feel less like upgrades and more like you're trying to duct tape pieces on to a foundation that was not created to do what it really does. And so we have at, at all of our sites, all of our venues, we have new equipment. It's up to kind of up to date with the standards of the day, but it's all being run off of a foundation that let's just say it's gotten a little outdated. So you all, like case in point, you all see me right now, you know, because of the lighting that is in this room. This lighting is run by a computer that's back behind the stage right now that runs off of one of these. Some of you have no idea what it is that I am holding up in my hand right now because this is older than you. So this is not a coaster. So this is something called a floppy disk. 
So, and this literally <laughs> runs our system in the back for everything with our lighting. And because of that, because of some of the foundation system that was created in 2007, like we, you all, we have had weeks where just hours before we were starting a service, like our audio system goes down or our lighting system goes down and we have to try to re reboot everything to make sure that things are going to work again. Because if it didn't, it's not just affecting you live who are in the room. It's not just affecting those of you who are watching sites and venues. It's not just affecting those of you who are watching online. It's not affecting only you who are watching in the family room. It affects everybody. We can't do services that way. Some of you have noticed potentially online or if you're here in this room that there have been weeks where like the lights in the back, they start to like during worship, like flicker and flash. Like it's like we're on the set from Stranger Things or something like that. And you're looking at it and we've had people come up to us after services and be like, wow, those new effects in the back are just amazing. We're like, uh, yeah, that wasn't planned. That just kind of happened. And when those things start to happen, you start to notice and you realize there's something that needs to change. And so we have brought people in to take a look at our system and to take a look at, okay, what do we need to change? How, what do we need to change with the computer, with the floppy disk? And they have said, uh, you need to stop duct taping and you need an overhaul of a system. You need something different based upon the way that you're doing ministry today. And here's the reality with that is there's nothing all that exciting about that. I know that some of you are techies and you get really excited about that, but to the average person, there's nothing all that exciting, but the experts have come in and they have said, you need to stop duct taping and do an overhaul. You need a new system. It's kind of like, okay, if you're a homeowner and there's a point, you know, within the life of your home where you need to get a new furnace. And the furnace, it sits in your basement and it does really good work, but you never really notice it at any other times. And still, it, tar and still it, it starts to make a weird noise. And as soon as it makes a weird noise, you know like, okay, we might be on borrowed time. And you can get it serviced a couple times, but you know there comes a point in time where you need to get a new furnace. And no one gets excited about buying a new furnace. But you know that that furnace, it is critical to everything that happens in the house. And if you wait to like when that furnace dies, yeah, you might be in a world of hurt. And it could be incredibly like detrimental to like the ramifications of that within the way that you do life. It could be incredibly expensive to have to fix it at that time when things die and could put you in a really difficult situation. So the experts of us have told us that for all of us, anyone who's watching me on a screen right now, our house, yeah, it needs figuratively a new furnace. There's something that needs to change. And so because of that, we are starting a campaign in order to be able to alleviate the cost of everything that needs to be done. And, uh, and so between now and June 2025, we have started a campaign that we are calling Project Tech. And Project Tech, the goal of that altogether, as we have had multiple different companies come in and tell us what we need within all of our sites. Remember, we're not just talking one room. We are a church with multiple sites, multiple locations, things that we're doing online. They have told us that what we need altogether for that is to raise about $3.5 million in order to be able to do what it is that we need to do. A big element of that is what changed within our church in a good way with what we stumbled into during COVID, with being able to do our entire services online. Up to that point, we had just kind of offered sermons, 
But all of a sudden, every church stumbled into this piece of having to do services online for their people. But what we saw coming out of that, you all, has just been nothing shy of amazing. I mean, as we watch, literally, we hear stories from all kinds of people where we see the data of thousands of people who are watching our services, not just here in, like, not just here in Dane County, but around the country and around the world. And we hear stories of life change that is happening with them. And so we decided, yeah, we've got to go towards this with Project Tech. So for many of you, hopefully you got a card on the way into church today. And on that card is a QR code that you can scan, which will get you all the information of where we're headed over these next months as we start in this together. If, if, that is, if, if you're not the techie person, you can also, you can go to this website, blackhawk.church forward slash project dash tech, or you can also, you can text the word project tech to 608 618 4003. And that will get you to all the information of everything that you need to know about what it is that we are stepping into together. Now, something to know, we've started already before we went public with everything today, we've started to have handfuls of conversation with small groups of people from all of our sites and venues who are invested here at Blackhawk. And all together, that small group of people have come together to make intentions and to give financial gifts of exceeding $1.1 million already. 1.1. So we are already that far down the line towards the 3.5 that we are hoping to get to in the next year and a half. But you all, this is what I want you to understand. I have friends who are pastors who tell me, yeah, this is a tough sell. And the reason why is because like nobody gets excited about the new furnace. The other reason why they say it is because, well, you got a lot of new people who are coming to your church. You have a lot of young people, 20-somethings. 20-somethings don't give. You got college students. College students don't give. But you know, I just don't buy that. And the reason why is because the new people I have met who have been coming to this church, you are so unbelievably passionate about the things that are going on here. The young people that I meet, you are some of the most missional-minded people who I have been in touch with. And so as a senior pastor here, I'm unapologetically asking all of you to pray and then to hop on board and give generously so that we can see what God does as he continues to share with us story after story of life change. Stories like a guy named Johnny from Seattle. Take a look at this. And ways to walk a new life. So the reason why these people are staying up front is because we have the chance to baptize Susie's brother Johnny right now. And the thing that I wanted to be able to share with you, I don't know if I should be looking at the room or looking at the camera, I don't know, but I'm just gonna go with it. So Johnny, and Johnny, you can come on in. Uh, the reason why um, I'm so excited about this one is because Johnny just flew into town from Seattle because Johnny attends our church online from Seattle. And, uh, and Susie and Johnny, Johnny's, uh, and, and their parents who live in the northwest suburbs of Chicago, all have been a part of our church since that time. Susie now being in Madison, yet Johnny doing everything online. So we couldn't film a normal baptism story the way we did for everybody else. So Johnny said, no problem, I'll make my own. So take a look at the screens right now. <laughs> Hi, I'm Johnny. My parents became Christian before I was born so I grew up attending church every Sunday. 
I knew all the Bible stories and all the right answers to all the questions, but I never truly felt connected with God. Once I went off to college, my relationship with God suffered even more. I strayed further from him, not even attending church on Sundays or participating in InterVarsity. Through those years, I've made many mistakes and had many regrets. But I remain thankful that God never abandoned me. After college, I had gotten a job which allowed me to live with my parents, during which I uh, started to attend church again. Uh, however, a year later, I got a new job and I moved to Seattle, shortly after which the pandemic hit. Uh, now, although everything in person was shut down, uh, my family had previously been inspired by Blackhawk Church, and so we continued to find comfort in Blackhawk's online sermons. By the grace of God, I continued to attend these online services throughout the pandemic. I thought a lot about what my life would be like without Christianity, and I realized I didn't want that. I realized you don't necessarily have to have a physical feeling as long as you can see the works that God is performing in your life. You don't have to be a perfect person, a sinless person, no matter the things that you've done in the past or even things that you might do in the future. God has enough mercy for it all. Before, I would find comfort in myself, in doing things without help, doing things my own way. But now I realize I am weak alone. I realize that I need God's help. I still struggle, but I'm willing to let God help me in my struggles. Johnny, because of your faith in Jesus and him alone for your salvation, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ and raised to walk a new life. Come on, that's pretty awesome. Um, Johnny, uh, I know you're watching in Seattle right now, and thanks for letting us share your story. His sister Susie, actually, if you're here live in the room, is helping us with worship today, playing, playing violin. And Johnny is uh, still living in Seattle, still watches our services each week, and has gotten connected into a church now in the Seattle area. Y'all, God is using us in so many ways that we can't see. And our hope is that that just continues. We're gonna be giving you more information in the weeks to come on everything with Project Tech and more of the details of what we're doing. This is going to affect the tech things we're doing. It's going to affect security within children's ministry. It's going to affect the way that we can go about multicultural ministry. And we'll tell you more about that in the weeks to come. But I wanna take a moment right now just for us to be able to pray as we start in this endeavor together. This is not about Blackhawk being a more flashy church. This is about us reaching the lives of people who need to hear the message of Jesus, that their lives would be transformed in the same way that so many of us have been transformed by that message. So let me pray. God, thank you so much for the way that you continue to use us as a church. It really is humbling. And uh, God, as we look to the future of what it is that you have in store for us, God, we pray that you would be the one to lead us and guide us. I pray, Father, that you would help us as a community to be generous and to be able to see the ways that you are working, that we would be willing to step into a place of trusting you 
and seeing the ways that you're going to do things in the future. We pray that we would just have more and more stories of people whose lives are changed like Johnny and many others who are sitting here in this room, who are watching us online at all of our sites and venues. God, would you just continue to be the one to really breathe like fuel into everything it is that's happening here that it would be for your kingdom and your glory. We thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people together said, amen. Well, we are continuing today in our reconstruction series that we have been in. This is the last week of that series. Next week, we are starting into a new series in the book of James. But to finish up the series, I'm gonna go ahead and hand off right now to our downtown pastor, Adam Penning. Good morning. Hey, uh, welcome to Black Hawk Church and hello downtown. Hey friends, good to see you guys. Well, you can't see me, but I can see you, but you can't see me. Um, So I just want to say hello, miss you guys. And hello to everybody who's watching online and all the other sites and venues. So glad that you're here. And hello, Braider Way. Uh, It's fun to be here with you guys. It's super fun. Uh, I don't get to be out here very often, but this—it's fun. Braderway's awesome. Uh, Come downtown sometime. We have a we have a a great space downtown, right at the heart of UW's campus, uh, right in the middle of um, downtown Madison. Especially in the summer, it's a great place to come visit. So online people too, come visit us sometime downtown. It's awesome. So, hey, if you're brand new. Uh, uh, and this is your first time here, we are at the very tail end of a series we're calling Under Construction. So this is the last stop on that journey. We, since the new year, we have been looking at a bunch of different really hard topics that, uh, uh, that oftentimes have been a source of tension for people in our own hearts and our lives have uh, been topics that oftentimes cause people to actually like walk away from the faith. Um, and uh, the, the result of what we've been hearing from you guys is that this series has been really helpful. There's been a lot of really good conversations that people have been having. We've been like asking questions in community, and it sounds like it's been really helpful for people to be able to build like um, stronger faith in all of us over the course of the last few weeks together. And so that's really great. Um, well, for me, uh, the topic we're talking about this morning, I actually had a really terrible conversation about it when I was a freshman in college at Iowa State University. Um, and uh, woo, we have one Iowa State fan. That's great. Um, and so, uh, so I, when I was a freshman at Iowa State, my very first week on campus, I went on a date. It was actually a rollerblading date um, because it was the 90s. And that's what we did. So... Uh, my very, I was, I was very much, I was very much still like figuring out what I thought about Christianity and about Jesus. Uh, I was a seeker. I wasn't all the way there yet. And I had gone to this giant, like 1,000 person student gathering on campus. And I, I met a girl there. And so we went on a date, you know? Uh, but this date had sort of like, it was destined to have the trajectory of like a 90s rom-com, romantic comedy. 
you know, where the guy back in the 80s and 90s in a rom-com always is the one who ruins the relationship, you know, who says something and does something that tanks it, and then he has to do something extra romantic at the end, you know, like he has to stand in the rain or hold like a boombox over his head or jump on a car or do something crazy to win back the girl. Like that's what happened in romantic comedies back then. Um, and so we're on this rollerblading date and we're rollerblading and talking about the only thing we have in common which is the topic, the stuff that they talked about at this uh, Christian event that we had gone to, which was like the importance of evangelism and missions work. And so this girl who's like totally on fire for Jesus is like on this date with, she's like, thinks is like this on fire Christian guy. And so she's like being like, oh, it's so cool that like they care about this stuff. Cause you know, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. And no one comes to the father, but through me. So we just got to tell people about Jesus. And I am like, you know, like apply the heel break. Um, and I sort of am like, wait, 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 wait. So you think no one gets to heaven unless they believe in Jesus. And she's like, yeah. Uh, and all of a sudden, like the temperature gets turned up on our conversation and our cute little rollerblading date turns into like a theological debate. And anybody who knows me, especially like 18-year-old Adam, knows that I can get way too into a debate. And um, we are going back and forth. And eventually I say something like, okay, so, so you're saying nobody else gets to go to heaven. Like Gandhi doesn't get in. Like what kind of mean God keeps him out and lets you in? <laughs> you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. You laugh. <laughs> You laugh, but it wasn't very romantic or much of a comedy, you know. Um, needless to say, that was our only date. Um, I, I actually don't think we saw each other again. Uh, I think that was it, you know. Um, and, uh, uh, and that is the topic we're talking about today. So, uh, so uh, grab your skates, buckle up your little uh, your rollerblades, because uh, we're talking about the exclusive claims of Jesus this morning. So uh, in a lot of different ways, Jesus talks about being, makes these claims where he talks about being the only source of eternal life and being the only God, the only true God. And so for me, when I was in college, this was the big barrier. Like as I was seeking the last big barrier in coming to faith. It wasn't like the Bible, it wasn't the moral ethics of Christianity, it wasn't faith and science, but it was these claims of Jesus. I did, they just felt like some weird, arrogant, exclusive boundary. It felt mean, and I just couldn't understand it. And I think probably for a lot of us, I know there's people in the room and watching online, and you struggle with this, right? It brings up lots of questions. Some of you are like, I didn't even know this was a thing. And that's okay, <laughs> you know? Um, you're like, did Jesus say this stuff? Some of you um, are wondering, like, uh, how, why did he say this? Um, how in the world could it be loving? You know, and what did, why, why in the world would he say these things? And so we're going to talk about all of that. We're also going to talk about why, to some extent, is it so hard for us that he says this stuff. So um, if, you, if that resonates with you, hopefully the stuff we talk about today will be helpful. Um, I also just want to say, like, 
Last week, Pastor Charles talked about wrestling with God, about disagreeing with him. And if you missed that message, that would be really helpful for today's message because this is one of the things, the topics that a lot of people really disagree with God about. And it takes some time to wrestle with him with it. So the first thing, the first question uh, we're going to talk about is, does Jesus claim to be the only way to God? And the, the short, quick answer is, yeah, like he does in a lot of different ways in a lot of different places. He makes claims um, to say, he says a lot of different things. I got a few verses here where Jesus talks about the necessity to believe in him, to be the source of eternal life. He also, in a couple other places, um, he mentions like, uh, if you believe in him, you won't ever die. He talks about like he and the father are one. Even at one place in John, he uses the, the name I am, the reference to the name, uh, the holy name Yahweh of God for himself. This is a place where Jesus, they try to stone him and kill him because he uses this name to reference for himself. And so um, he just says this stuff. And uh, there aren't many scholarly debates about this anymore. For the most part, the like, the historical references, the sources we have about Jesus, they all have Jesus saying this stuff. And Jesus's earliest followers really believed he said these things. And so he said them. It doesn't necessarily um, make it easier for us to swallow. It doesn't make it easier, but, uh, but it seems like we just have to wrestle with the words that Jesus said. So I want to pause before we jump into like, why on earth would Jesus say this? And how in the world is it not unloving for him to say stuff like that? And I just want to talk about a little bit why like, uh, uh, I think I have struggled with some of these claims in my own life. Maybe you'll resonate with them a little bit in your own life too. So um, one of the reasons I think this topic is hard, talking about the exclusive claims of Jesus is hard, is just the word exclusive is a hard word, Right? Um, we can confuse like exclusive with exclusionary. Um, for me, at least, like when I think of the word exclusive, it brings up all sorts of thoughts and feelings like about like times in my life where I was excluded from people or places that I had wanted to be welcomed into. And that feels really hard and difficult. Um, it can, uh, like Jesus seems like he's supposed to be loving and about inviting people into something. And this feels like some sort of mean, arrogant boundary. That, and, and that just feels like it, there's dissonance there. It doesn't feel like it should fit. And so I'm like, how, is this, how does this fit with who I, I had pictured Jesus to be? And so sometimes that can be hard. Um, but there is another way that we use the word exclusive, right, in English, another meaning for it. And we can use it to mean only, right? Like today, after the big game, after the Super Bowl game, a news agency may say, uh, we have an exclusive interview today with... <laughs> Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift, right? Yeah, yeah, a couple of Taylor Swift fans in the room, little Swifties, Kansas City. None. <laughs> Only Packers fans here. So, um, and so, uh, and, but they'll, mean, they'll say that meaning like they have the only interview with Taylor and Travis, right? So we, exclusive can mean only. And when we talk about Jesus being exclusive, we mean it in that sense. And so that can help a little bit to realize that's how we're talking about it. But I think the, for me at least, the bigger reason this conversation has been hard is because growing up, I had sort of unconsciously, I had like absorbed a worldview that had essentially said like all religions are basically the same. 
And for a lot of us, I think that can kind of be like the elephant in the room, right? Like it's actually like this elephant. I don't know. Have you guys ever seen this? Have you ever seen this? This is the, a parable. They call it like the parable of the six blind men and the elephant. How many of you have seen this before? Yeah, yeah, a few of you. Some of you are like, I, it's a weird cartoon. Okay, let me explain it to you. So the parable of the blind men and the elephant goes something like this. There's six blind men and they're walking around and they run into something. And the first blind man feels like the legs. And he's like, it's a, uh, it's a tree. And another one is down here and he feels it. And he says, no, 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 no. And he feels, he's like, no, no, he feels the tail. And he says, no, it's a rope. And another one is down on this end and he feels like the hard, sharp tusk and feels the point. He says, no, 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 it's a spear. It's a spear. And, um, and, the, and then the elephant is, doesn't say anything because he's an elephant, right? And elephants don't speak. And um, the point of the parable is this is how humanity sort of relates to the divine, right? Like we are all just feeling a part of a whole. And essentially, we're all sort of right in the part that we're feeling. And God goes along with it because we really are doing our best to figure out something that we can't necessarily understand on our own. Um, George Bernard Shaw has a quote where he says, there's only one religion, though there are hundreds of versions of it. And so for me, growing up in the 80s and 90s, this is just sort of like what I had sort of like uh, absorbed growing up and thinking about the world. But you didn't have to grow up in America these days to sort of like absorb this. I think for a lot of us, like because of the pervasiveness of a lot of Western culture, this is sort of er everywhere. You know, the elephant, it, it comes sort of from Eastern philosophy, but like Western culture has picked it up and ran, run away with it in the hopes that we'd kind of all get along. Um, and listen, it would be great for us to kind of all find a way to like coexist, right? Like you, we've probably all seen this bumper sticker, right? <laughs> on a car somewhere in front of us in Madison, or maybe it's on your car. And um, this is a fantastic ideal. This is a great goal. I mean, really, like, guys, Christ followers of all people, we have deep motivation. We have a high calling and even very direct commands to love our neighbors and even stronger commands to love our enemies, regardless of whatever belief system they may hold, right? So, like, we should go well beyond trying to coexist with our neighbors, and we should be thinking about how we can love them to help them flourish for the good of the world and the community that's around us. We should be going way beyond coexisting with the people that are around us. But we have, but coexisting is not the same thing as agreement. Like all of these, all of these religions, if you throw this back up, these, all these religions, they, they're not the same. They, they disagree fundamentally on all the most important tenets. There might be some overlap in some areas, but to say they're all the same is really pretty uninformed and kind of offensive to people all over the world who believe different things about all the most important things about how they see the world. You see, there, there's a problem with the sort of that elephant parable. And, and the problem is that the elephant parable actually is an exclusive truth claim. It's an exclusive truth claim. The moment you say, um, guys, it's an elephant. You're saying, listen, 
I have a superior perspective on the situation. I'm the only one who's not blind and can see the truth. You're saying like, um, I can see that it's an elephant and you're actually all wrong. And as Westerners, when we say you're all wrong and I can see the truth, it's one of the reasons why much of the world finds the West so offensive and arrogant these days. So I bring all of this this up uh, just to make one simple point. All truth is to some extent exclusive. Like whether you're talking about like uh, a dissertation or doctrine, if you're going to accept one hypothesis as true, you're going to have to necessarily set some others aside, right? Like it's illogical and it's unfunctional to try to hold all of them together at once. As uncomfortable as it is to set some aside. And for me, when I was in college wrestling with the exclusive truth claims of Jesus, like it was really hard to set truth claims aside because of the worldview I'd absorbed. But more than that, the big reason was because like I loved people. I think we all care about people who don't believe, right? It was my compassion for people that was really hard. Right? Like, and I just want to say, so if you're someone today, and part of the reason you're struggling with this is because you care about people, I I don't want you to let, like, walk away from God or let go of that compassion because I actually think it's your compassion for people that puts you uniquely close to the heart of God. And I hope you will see that as we dive into some of the reasons why Jesus had to say the things that he said about who he is and how we access eternal life. I hope you'll see that it was actually his love that drove him to see that. So let's dive into some of the reasons why Jesus said some of the things that he, uh, that he had to say. So, um, as we dive in, uh, I think what I, what I hope we'll, ha- we'll see today is that um, there is kind of a logic behind the claims that Jesus makes. Um, the logic is sort of, uh, it is um, based in who Jesus is. It is motivated by who we are, and it's embedded in the biblical narrative. It's based on who God is, it's motivated by who we are, and it's embedded in the biblical narrative. And when we see that, I think we actually will be able to begin to see that for him not to make the claims he makes, if he not to make them, would be incredibly unloving. And so um, that's what we're going to try to look at today. So, but to see it, we've got to go into the biblical narrative. We've got to dive into it. We've got to go all the way back to the very beginning, actually before the beginning, and dive into Genesis one one. So let's look at Genesis 1.1, which says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So if you have your Bible, this is actually page one, verse one. This is literally the very beginning uh, in here. So um, there have been all sorts of different ideas throughout human history about what you would find if you could go back to the beginning. 
to the big, like before the beginning. Uh, the ancient Greeks thought if you could go back to the beginning, before the beginning, you would find ancient, uh, like primordial elements of like earth, air, and fire. There's some folks today who believe that you, if you could go back, you would, you would find like um, uh, an impersonal, but like ultimate sort of supreme like power or, or force like the universe, right? Like we trust the universe with things. Um, still others in various forms believe there are like a pantheon of personal beings like gods and goddesses that are sort of behind everything. And material atheists believe that there's nothing. There's no one, right? We're alone in our universe. Everything is just matter, energy, and chance working itself out over time and with the brave thing to do is just face that reality as we event as we wait the sort of eventual heat death of the universe in the end. But Genesis 1:1 lays out a very different like foundation for what we would find if we could go back to the very beginning about what is in the very beginning and it says in the beginning God this is, an inc- this is a very different foundation for everything. This God it's, is a personal absolute. God here is Elohim, or later on he reveals himself as Yahweh. He's a personal absolute. Now by personal, I don't mean like personal computer or personal trainer, like something that is just for your personal use, for you to use whenever you want. But I mean like a personal being, like uh, someone who has intellect, rationality, emotion, will, capable of having relationship, a divine person. This is really important as we think about the logic behind the claims Jesus will make. And this God is also absolute. And by absolute, I mean, he is also like ultimate, exclusively supreme, the greatest conceivable being. He is, this God is so much bigger than anything we could ever imagine or fathom. He is totally self-existent. He is self-sustaining, not contingent on anything or anyone. This God is like an uncaused cause, right? So um, he is personal, And he is absolute. Before anything was, this God simply is. It's why when God reveals his name later on in the biblical story to Moses, he says his name is Yahweh. He is, I am that I am. He just is. There wasn't anything before him. He is the only God, exclusively the one and only God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That means every object on the earth or the shiniest objects in the night sky that ancient peoples worshipped, everything in all creation that our scientific modern minds strain to understand, everything that like the James Webb Space Telescope squints at on the edges of the visible universe to see, this God simply speaks and those things came into being. He is that absolute And yet, he is not so big and so exclusive that he will not have relationship with tiny little specks of animate matter on a little blue dot in our corner of our little solar system. This God forms human beings out of the dust of the earth and breathes life into us intimately to have personal relationships with a personal God 
right? We are formed in his image to have, share meaning with him, right? To have relationship with him, to share mission with him. We are the pinnacle of his creation. We have a special place, not only in his creation, but in his heart. This is who God is. And this is who we are. This is something to wonder at. That's incredible. And yet, this happens all on the very first page, at least of my Bible. And something happens on this page in the narrative that creates the motivation that will drive Jesus to make the claims that he will have to make. Remember, the logic behind his claims are based on who God is and it's motivated by who we are. Something happens in Genesis chapter three that happens to every human child, their parents. The humans rebel against God. And what they do is not simple human, like parent, like childhood rebellion. When the humans rebel against God, it is... um, It is a cataclysmic sort of rebellion. It utterly fractures our relationship with God. It fractures the world. Um, It utterly changes things. Uh, The Bible describes that as sin. And this are some passages about sin. It says, for all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But your iniquities have separated you from God. And for the wages of sin is death. We don't always think of sin as being a big deal, but it's a big deal. It totally changes things. We were created to have relationship, meaning, and mission with God. And ever since this moment, it's like we are lost in the dark. We are seeking after artificial sources of love, counterfeit sources of meaning, and we are manufacturing some sort of mission to try to make the world go right again. And yet, man, look at the news. It was it's like we just keep make the world keeps getting worse as we try to make it work right. And ever since then, it's like, we don't know who we are and we don't know who God is because we just wander in the dark. And so in that sense, remember our little elephant parable cartoon guy? In that sense, that cartoon's not that far off of where the Bible says humanity is at right now, right? Like they're, they're sociologists, historians, anthropologists, and theologians. They all agree there is something in the human experience. There is a longing and an impulse like across all time and in every culture towards something divine that is straining towards it, trying to find it. Guys, it is only in like until the last little sliver of human history that like material atheism has said, nah, nah, that is all just false data. There's nothing there. There's actually no elephant in the in the dark at all. But here's what I want you to imagine this morning. Even even if you are not a believer at all, I want you just to think for a minute. Use your imagination and think, if this is where we are in the story, if there is a personal absolute behind everything, for all straining in the dark, what would be the logical next step for that kind of God to do? After all of sort of that theological feeling around his like tail tusks and trunk, 
Wouldn't it make sense for that God just to say, guys, I'm an elephant, right? 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 It would make no sense for a God like that to allow himself to remain misunderstood for long. It would also make no sense for a God like that to remain anonymous towards the personal beings that he has created and loved for very long. Right? I mean, think about it from your own personal experience, your own human experience. When you're in elementary school, you might slip somebody a note that you think is cute, right? And you might anonymously write, you are cute, and slip it in their locker or in their desk or in their backpack or something, right? You might do that. Um, and then in high school, maybe college, you might send someone like a flowers anonymously. But if you keep sending them flowers and you don't tell them who they, you are, it gets creepy fast, <laughs> right? It, if you care about someone, you reveal who you are. It's creepy to stay anonymous for long, right? And when you love someone, you, reveal, you, you tell them in person. So here's sort of the loving logic behind Christianity. Only Christianity is, has a worldview that says, behind everything, there is a personal absolute God who created a scientifically ordered world that actually points towards him who like sent prophets and scripture to reveal who he is in a more clear way. And then that God, he, um, that God then like uh, didn't just stay distant, but personally entered into the world to reveal himself, to do something about the problem of our sin and revealed himself and told us how we could access help with that problem of our sin. That God came all the way face to face to tell us about it. And imagine, like, it would make no sense at all for that God to do all of that, to come all of that way, and then to do nothing or say nothing to us about it. That would be like the surprise plot twist near the end of the Disney animated film, Frozen, right? With Prince Anna, Princess Anna and Prince Hans. You guys know this part, right? Like, Princess Anna has been struck in the heart with ice magic, right? And her hair's turning white and she's freezing. She just needs an act of true love to save her, she, right? But luckily she's back in the palace. She's staring face to face with her fiance, Prince Hans. She just needs a true love kiss and then everything's gonna be fine, right? And then uh, uh, Prince Hans looks at her in the eyes and says, oh, Anna, if only there was someone here who actually loved you. And he douses the fire and he walks away. To be in a position to say something and say nothing, to do something and say nothing would be incredibly unloving. You guys, the biblical story could have ended so differently. God could have looked at the mess of our world and could have come and said, I am so done with you. He could have decided not to come at all and said, you know what, you guys are a mess. Just go ahead and obliterate yourselves. But instead, the story ends more like a romantic comedy. Our relationship with him is ruined. But rather than like by us, not by him. And he doesn't like get down on knee or stand in the rain or hold a boombox over his head, but he does come into our world and inhabit our flesh. He climbs up on a cross and spreads his arms wide as he hangs there. The word becomes flesh. It dwells among us. 
And on the cross of Jesus, there is somebody who actually loves you. God demonstrates his love for you in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ dies for us. And as he hangs there, he's acting out the invitation of John 14, 6. He's saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You can come to the Father through my broken body. I will be torn apart so you won't have to be torn apart. Searching after artificial sources of love and counterfeit sources of meaning anymore. When I was in college and really struggling with this, it was thinking about Jesus on the cross that was most helpful for me. You see, guys, if you've ever wrestled with Jesus being the only way, you need to know that he wrestled with it first. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, when he determined to go all the way to the cross for you and for me, Matthew 26 records that he prayed all night long about it. It records only two lines of that prayer. But the prayer goes something like this. Father, if there is any other way, any other way, let this cup pass from me, but not your will, but my, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus actually prayed not to be the only way. And this wasn't a stoic prayer, but it was a gut-wrenching, passionate prayer. It says he actually prayed so hard for there to be another way that like the capillaries in his skin burst and it came out of his pores as blood as he asked for another way. And then he got up and he became the only way because of his love for you and me. And it was this moment that was most helpful for me. I had a friend, um, actually it was a cousin of mine who was light years ahead of me in faith, but we were about the same age. And um, we didn't have the kind of like <laughs> confrontational relationship that I had with my rollerblading date in college. And um, I was struggling with this and she was patient and kind towards me. And she reminded me of this night in the life of Jesus. And she didn't give me theological or philosophical answers, but she just said, I remember she said, Adam, do you remember when Jesus prayed in the garden? for there to be another way? Why do, you th- why do you think he would have gone to the cross if there was another way? And I didn't have an answer. She didn't give me an answer and she didn't demand one from me. But I just had to sit with her question. Not for like a couple minutes, but actually for a couple months. Until slowly, the words of Jesus that had once felt like an exclusionary boundary somehow were transformed into a loving invitation to life. And I ended up saying yes to him. You guys, I wonder what might happen in our community and in our lives as we end this series full of tough conversations. If we would trade in our rollerblades for conversations that are more full of grace kindness and question asking with each other. Uh, And we would just love each other and give each other the gift of time and curiosity.
I wonder what God might do. And if you're still struggling today, I just want you to know God loves you. He sees you and you're struggling and you're question asking and your anger, even in your walking away. And no matter how far you walk away from him, you just need to know he loves you. And at whatever point you turn around, he will be right there with an invitation of love saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You can still come home to the Father through me. Let me pray. Jesus, hey, say you love us enough to give your life for us. We know um, your words are hard, and yet you, you have chosen to do a harder thing still in giving your life for us. Help us to see the logic behind your words, but more than that, to see the love behind them. And to respond and say yes to your invitation in the time that you would give us. And help us to be people who would lovingly help each other walk towards you and not away from you. Pray this all in your name. Hey, online family, I get a chance just to be able to talk to you all right now. I did the same thing last week, right after the message, but hope that you enjoyed the message that Adam gave and that that spoke to you. Uh, and um, you heard me earlier in the service talk a little bit about Project Tech and anything that was coming up with that. And uh, well, I wanted to tell you again we have an opportunity coming up just for you. No one in any of our, the live room or our sites and venues are hearing about this right now. This is specifically just for you, our online family. This is the way that you connect with Blackhawk. And we wanted a chance to just to be able to connect with you. So this coming Thursday night, February 15th, I'm inviting you to really a vision gathering. This is a chance for me just to be able to interact with all of you a bit and get a chance to talk with you and, and really to share a little bit more about Project Tech. I mean, when I think about Project Tech, this is going to have big effect on the way that you all take in our services. And we're really excited about that. I'm excited to share with you more about that. And uh, so it's going to affect everybody, but I know it's especially going to affect our online community. And so... I really want to invite you, if you think of Blackhawk Church as home, or if you take in services this way on a regular basis, if you like our teaching and being a part of what it is that we're doing, I just want to be able to invite you to partner with us in what it is that we're going to do. And I want to tell you more about that. Here's the deal. You'll need to register in order to get the Zoom link for the event. So be sure to do that. Uh, the QR code is is below and it's going to take you right to the registration spot. And if for some reason that doesn't work for you, don't worry. Just shoot us an email at projecttech at blackhawkchurch.org. We'll get you all set up. We don't want you to miss this. And so as our online community, you're a huge part of our church. And I'm really excited to be able just to connect with you guys this way. Share what God has been doing through the recent years that many of you have experienced but to give you a picture of where we're headed in the future. So hope to see you there. Hey, before we close out, let me, let me finish this out here with a benediction. And so may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, that we might overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. All God's people together said, amen. We'll see you soon.